Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host here for the next hour on the Talent Talk Radio Show. We have a great lineup of guests, and hope you're looking forward to hearing great insights from our two guests today, and of course, all the guests we have planned for you throughout the year. This show, the Talent Talk Radio Show, features a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. So in the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings. And the first is how we kind of look at success and how uh, really talented people achieve success. And the second is how talent relates to human resources. And we'll explore those two areas along with how talented individuals impact a company's culture, because that's just something I like talking about and find fascinating. So typically we have on CEOs and HR executives, entrepreneurs, business leaders, coaches, you know, just Great people from all different types of industries. And typically what happens is I get the opportunity to meet them at an event, a conference, in LinkedIn, somewhere we've crossed paths and found out that they're a really smart person and we had to have them on the show. So instead of me being the only one who gets to hear what they have to say, we created this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and hopefully get some practical advice that will help you cultivate talent, develop leaders, manage culture, and most importantly, impact your own career in a positive way. I want to thank everyone who's tuning in live here every Tuesday. If you have a question uh, for one of my two guests today, just send them to at peopleg2 and use that hashtag talent talk. My producer, Mike, can try to feed me the best questions and we'll work them in as time allows. You can also send us uh, other suggestions you might have, guests, uh, questions that we should think about asking, topics we might want to dive into. We're always happy to get great feedback from our listeners. You can also uh, download a the podcast of this uh, show and listen to all the past shows itunes is a great place to go i know android's got a place to go we can go to talenttalkradio.com to do it but we have about 150,000 people who are subscribed and downloading that podcast here every week and we really appreciate your support and interacting with us uh, through that medium so let's go ahead and get today's show started now all the business is out of the way my first guest is uh, James Hamilton. He's going to be—he's the vice president of talent for Delmonico Foods. And then after uh, James, we're going to have on Kara uh, Saletto. She's the founder and president of uh, Crescendo Strategies. So let's go ahead and uh, jump in here with James. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for your kind invitation. Yeah, and so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, of course, uh, your company, uh, Delmonico Foods. Okay, I'm a, I'm a small-town boy, central Kentucky. I had the good fortune to be exposed during my lifetime to awesome people and diverse experiences and great values. And today I'm honored to work with a fantastic team of folks at Delmonico Foods where we share an extraordinary passion for artisan quality food and relationships built on trust. So uh, coming from a, a small town environment, now you're working for a big company. How, how is, that, is that kind of two, two, two different worlds here colliding? Well, I think the bigger the company is, the more common the, the collision. I think that a smaller company finds it easier to maintain sort of the values that they were rooted in from the beginning. 
Right, right. So you've been with Delmonico uh, Foods since 2013, and before that you worked in a couple different capacities in HR. Uh, what is it that continues to drive you to kind of be in that area of, of human resources? Well, I love I love what I do, and I think that if you don't love what you do, then maybe you should do something else. But for me, I love studying, understanding people, bringing out their best. It's, I find it fascinating. It captures my imagination, and I never get tired of it. And what what types of things uh, do do you find most fascinating about people? Is it, you know, the good stuff, the bad stuff? Is it just the, the crazy stuff? I mean, we kind of have we see people kind of interested in different areas. What is it for you that really you find most fascinating? Well, we're we're a whole blend of of different emotions, and we are. For me, I I just think that that we we share so many things in common, but that we we share them in different ways. A lot of complexity, but it's. The emotions that we bring with us, we share so many of them, and it, no matter where we're from or what our backgrounds are, and it's, I, I kind of consider it the human condition, but yeah. you know, we're, we're people and, and we're, we're subject to certain things. One of all those different things, a lot of times what we need in a work environment to keep us all grounded and together is a you know, particular strategy towards a culture and the company, and what is it that helps drive the, the culture there at Delmonico? Well, I think, uh, we think, that culture follows purpose. What do you believe? Why do you exist as an organization? If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. So we, we feel like company and team leaders have to share a common purpose and trust each other and make people feel safe. Otherwise, managing people is like herding cats. Right. And culture, culture is really about people, too. It's, we're emotional. And we have a biological need to connect with something that we believe in, a purpose that motivates us. Right. So uh, do, do you guys prescribe then to that? You have one of the tenets here of, of purpose. Do you guys also focus on the mastery and autonomy components as well? We do. And the mastery and autonomy, I, I think if you consider that, this is sort of how we define roles and set expectations. And they're important ingredients to get good results because you can have a, a common purpose and share a culture and love working with each other and be really engaged and motivated and still not get good results so the autonomy and mastery help us get the good results yeah absolutely and usually if you can find a pretty good way in which to give people that autonomy and you're being successful with it you you have some pretty good instruments in place some good policies in place and usually some pretty happy employees at least we that's what we've seen and, and from what we hear from our guests that are on the show that if they can figure that out they've usually figured out a pretty good way for their uh, staff uh, to live and exist and work together uh, harmoniously and it sounds like that's what you guys are really working towards on your end yeah, we're trying to. The idea is, is simple. The execution is um, is complex. Yeah, I'll, I'll always. <laughs> and as you mentioned, humans are the, are the reason for that. So I know that, you know, one of the things that you guys are probably dealing with is, uh, from a leadership standpoint, is, you know, what are some of the expectations of leadership? Sounds like you have these, these sort of principles in place that you want you want your leaders to really be communicating purpose and living that purpose and, 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 and really driving that home with, with your staff. So to ensure they're consistent in their own modeling, you know, what do you guys do to help them achieve that? Well, 
setting the expectations for and selecting and rewarding for uh, leadership is is really key. And we believe that leadership begins with caring about your direct reports. And the art of leadership is to influence and inspire and engage team members to do what needs to be done because they want to, not because they have to. And that's tricky. Yeah, and and sometimes one of the biggest um, hurdles in that is is that idea of clarity. You know, can that leader, that that supervisor, that manager, not only do those things you're asking, but can they do it in a way that's very clear that everyone understands and uh, can really get behind? Is that an area where you guys see you have to kind of really help and focus on is to help those leaders be be clear about those messages as opposed to, I mean, because you can communicate a lot. But that doesn't mean you're communicating correctly or clearly or in a way that everyone understands. Is that is that an ever an area you guys spend time on? I, I love that you just said that. Effective communication is so important. And if you can't explain something simply, it's because you don't understand it well enough. You really have to think about and understand what success is. And that is that is very hard. People know all these activities that they do but they can't sort of simply define in a minute or two without a lot of without a lot of familiarity with the role and thinking about what is success how do you define success in 1 minute can you do that you know and can you give people 1 minute goals the 1 minute manager is is a is a book we give yeah that's a great one that's a very very good one well, I know there was some things that caught my attention when I was looking you up and, and Delmonico Foods as well. And there was a couple of statements that were out there kind of floating around LinkedIn I thought might be interesting for us to, to dive into and kind of get your thoughts on and kind of read this statement back so everyone can understand. Uh, you know, it said, we believe that people are the primary reason that business succeed. Uh, succeeds or fails, and that high-performing teams outperform superstars or interchangeable parts, employment models where people don't share a common purpose or trust each other. So maybe we break this into two parts. That first is we believe that people are the primary reason that businesses succeed or fail. What are those things that bring about that success or failure that you're looking at in trying to really you know drive the human capital within your own business? Well, our, all organizations have access to capital and land, buildings, machines. Processes can be duplicated. Information is becoming a commodity. People have the greatest complexity and the impact on organizational performance of all of those variables. And in order to win, we have to understand and become skilled at human motivation and human emotions, which is, um, which is harder than we think. It's very hard. It always feels like every time you, you might have a, a glimpse of figuring it out, then somebody throws a wrench in it. But <laughs> we get that, that general idea. Now, the second part of that statement was high-performing teams outperform superstar or interchangeable part uh, parts employment models where people don't share a common purpose or trust each other. So that seems obvious. It seems kind of common sense. But maybe you can talk a little bit about you know, what are some of the areas where you're seeing the most success when you have this sort of, you know, high-performing superstar teams? You, you know, when you think about it, you, you, you said a second ago, people have access to all these different things, but when you bring in just the right things, how are you seeing that implemented in your company to really achieve big results? 
Well, I, I think that this notion that teams outperform interchangeable parts or superstar models is not universally agreed upon. In fact, it, it may not be a universal truth. There might be models where interchangeable parts or superstars may make sense mm-hmm. in, in limited cases. But I believe that the vast majority of organizations rely on teams of people. They've got specific and different roles, and they function best when they have a common purpose and they trust each other because they're willing to work together. And when you bring in superstars, you get behaviors like being selfish that really that, that, that are, are contrary to our, our motivations as human beings. This is what this is. It, 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 it destroys the, the, the teamwork and the teams have to function well together. And so that can be really problematic. And when leadership or managers, I would say, treat people like interchangeable parts and they don't really feel valued and maybe fear is a primary motivator, also it destroys human motivation. And because that human motivation and emotion is so critical to winning, I I just don't think you can win unless you really are intentional and think about how you interact with your people and what that means for every single business and human interaction that you're going to do, whether it's rewarding performance or all kinds of stuff. You know, I think we see those situations in companies where they bring in those, like, superstars and then things don't work out. I often wonder if they either don't pay attention to sports or if they just somehow think that business is different than these team models that we can observe out on the floor. I mean... People spend billions of dollars putting together a team full of superstars, and they don't, you know, unless they come together as a team, they consistently fail. And yet we over and over we see this over and over. I mean, much to my uh, chagrin, being an Angel and, and Dodgers fan, we see the Giants, you know, playing very well, winning, you know, a lot in the last few years, and they're very much a team as opposed to some of the other uh, baseball teams that are full of superstars and have problems. And I, I mean, we see it over and over and over again, and yet it continues to happen and i it'd be fascinating to know why what is it that draws people to this idea that a superstar is going to help them over a team you need very talented people you can't just put a i can put a team full of people to play baseball that love each other that work absolutely hard but they don't have any talent that's of course not going to work they have to have talent as well but a superstar is a whole nother element and like you said the get the components of being selfish and maybe not working well with others uh, do too many resources go to them? Do other people get left behind? There are so many factors in there. And one of those other ones is, I think, trust. You know, if, if, if you have superstars in there, does that kind of degrade some of your elements of trust within the organization? And I'm, I'm sure trust is something that not only has to be earned in your organization, but may have a really big impact on how you guys work, how your leaders work. Maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, that component and for Delmonico. Yes, trust is a big element of what we're doing. And I think that to comment on why maybe companies chase superstar models or teams, I think it's in our human nature to look for something that's easy. And, and, and that can be an easy answer because the teamwork and human emotion and motivation and trust, this stuff is hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it, it's, I'd rather not spend time or think about it or, or deal with it. And I think that, that that becomes almost a natural human reaction is, is seeking an easy way. But the easy way is not the way to win. And the, the trust for us 
when we define it, it's, and, and we, we actually we do in groups, and we, we, we sit down and we talk about this stuff, and, and you have to care about your team members. You have to treat everyone with respect. That doesn't mean you can't have um, candid commentary about people's performance, but you have to you have to have those conversations respectfully, and you have to share your own thoughts and feelings because we are humans. You have to learn what people's goals are, their personal goals, and help them achieve them. These are ways you build trust. Yeah. And I'm sure in some of those discussions and concerns that you guys have, there are also areas that you have to be worried about when you're trying to develop a new leader. Uh, are, there, are there some very specific things that you guys think about and, and, and maybe worry about or try to you know, train out of people to make sure that they're not a part of your organization? Well, we, I, I try to help, we try to help people get to real and, and, and get to authentic and stay focused because it's very easy to get distracted, but to stay focused on the purpose and vision and to take the time to lead people and not take shortcuts. It takes time, so you have to reduce every transaction that you're doing with your work to absolute minimums. You have to become very efficient in how you you transact the, the activity so that you can leverage your people time and to maximum effectiveness. And when you and said I think, I think that the big biggest struggle for new team leaders is how do they redirect the way they do their time, which means they have to start coaching and developing people every single thing that they do. If they're doing something, they should be thinking, how can I teach someone how to do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because sometimes it's a lot easier just to do this the thing themselves and take them five minutes. It might take them ten minutes to train somebody, but that time they're going to get back in the long run as, as well as developing somebody, and that's that's a pretty big component for any leader. But you, know, you, you said you really wanting people to be real, and that's that's a kind of fascinating way to, to put it. And so maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Does that mean not being fake, or does that mean just being really authentic? What, what, what does real mean to you? For, for, for us to trust each other and have a shared purpose and work with each other, our transactions have to be as if we're in that small town in central Kentucky sitting on the, uh, you know, on the bench beside each other talking to each other like people. Mm-hmm. And we've got to get out of this. Uh, for me, you have to get past this business jargon and, and, and even the um, HR best practices and things. We can do so much better if we just treat people as if they're our partner and they're our teammate and we care about them, then, then the interaction is different and, and the result is different. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you've been tackling a lot of different things on a very, uh, not a simple is the wrong word, but a very, you know, a specific level, on a, on a level that is, you know, not kind of up in the clouds, but maybe more common sense level. It, it, it certainly sounds fascinating. And so I'm wondering over the last two years that you've been with a company, maybe what are some of the strategic changes that you've had to make to really, you know, make some of these things happen and, and bring in overall strength to the culture and the talent base of the company? Well, the, what we did that, that worked was first the company leaders got in the room, talked, sorted it out, found our common purpose. Then we took turns learning the business and our team members by working beside them every day in all parts of the business for like two months each. 
then we developed a plan, a strategic plan that was aligned with our purpose and was unique to how we won. And then we set about rewriting everything else that we do. So it lined up with that purpose and the plan, and we're still writing. But getting that purpose, learning the people and how we win and having a plan, that was, um, that was critical. And so where did you learn some of these things? You must have had some, you know, some good uh, mentors and, and people in your life that have taught you some of these, you know, kind of personal leadership qualities. Are there, is there a particular person or a set of people that you might mention that have had a big impact on you? There's been a lot of great people. One that has had a tremendous amount of impact that I would recommend all the listeners to who have an interest in the, the topics that I'm talking about is if they haven't heard or watched Simon Sinek. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his, his name right. Yeah, you are. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People don't buy what you do. They buy what you believe. He's got a series of, of great speeches, books, How Great Leaders Inspire Action, First Why and Then Trust, Why Good Leaders Make You Feel Safe, Leaders Eat Last. If you don't understand people, you don't understand business. It's great stuff. Yeah, and so my next question was going to be, what book are you reading right now uh, that you might suggest for everyone? So obviously, we've brought this up on the show before, but the Simon Sinek books are, are fantastic. Uh, but do you have another, any other book that you might be reading right now? <laughs> uh, when, I, when I'm done with work, I read, uh, I read things of, of all sorts of different things. Right now, I'm reading a book called Home Remedies. It's a book of short stories by a childhood friend and an amazing writer that take me back to old Kentucky where I was born and raised. And who's the author, in case they want to check it out? Angela Newman is her name. She's, I think she even grew up in the middle of town, and she's been mentioned on Oprah Winfrey's um, uh, best-selling or, or, or author list. Wow. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a good book uh, we could definitely check out. I know... Uh People would definitely be interested in, in, in several of the books that we mentioned. We brought up uh, Simon Sinek a few times, and we've been trying. We've we tried a few different times. We're going to somehow find a way to get him on the show. We've had a couple other similar authors on before, but it'd be great to get him on, considering how many people have, have mentioned him and talked about his work and how important it is for some of the best companies that are out there seem to be putting into place the things that he's talking about and really uh, working towards. So, When, when our... When our- Company leaders all watched a couple of his videos together. It clicked for us, mm-hmm. and after that, it was much easier. Yeah, yeah. At least gets you get, definitely gets that conversation started. It gets you thinking in the same way. And if you get everyone to agree on the things he's talking about, it's pretty easy to then start, you know, cut those action plans and move forward. It's not easy to implement. Like it sounds like you guys are still working on all those different components, but it's easy to at least get everyone walking in the same direction towards you know, wherever you may end up based on the things that he, he brings up. So Yes, and you have to sort out the, the, the details along the way, but you know you have the, you have the same uh, uh, direction after that. Yeah. Well, if people are interested in getting a hold of you, learning more about your company, maybe possibly applying for a job, what's the best way for them to, to find out more? Social media, LinkedIn, I'm available there. Uh, Delmonico Foods, we've got a nice website. We have a Facebook page, Twitter. Delmonico is, um, sometimes we get spelling questions on that. It's D-E-L, and then the second is M-O-N-A-C-O. Delmonico Foods. Well, James, I really appreciate you uh, joining us here today. We've learned a lot about you and your company, and I'm really enjoying all the things that you guys are doing, and hopefully you can come back at some point and give us an update and uh, let us know some of the other great things that you guys have decided to do. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me, and it's an honor to be on your show. 
All right, James, thank you for being with us today. Up next, after this quick commercial break, will be uh, Kara Saletto. Be right back. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can visit talenttalkradio.com and hear all our past shows or go to iTunes and uh, open up that podcast app and type in Talent Talk. And hopefully you can find us there and interact and listen to any other shows that might, might be of interest to you. Coming up next here, we have Kara uh, Saletto. She's the founder and president of Crescendo Strategies. Uh, so, Kara, welcome to the show. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, of course, about your company. Sure. I'm a national speaker, author, and consultant on understanding the millennial mindset. I sit in a unique sweet spot for bridging generational gaps because I am a millennial. I was born in 1981, but I also have 10 years of experience in the workforce. So I spent a lot of time in my 20s crying at the office. (laughs) I was reprimanded again and again for doing and saying and wearing all the wrong things. Uh, I didn't actually become an expert on this topic until I had lived it firsthand and realized 10 years later that I had kind of figured out um, that secret recipe for meeting boomer expectations because I had great mentors. They, uh, they were the ones who pulled me into their office and would reprimand me. So I uh, just sit in that unique spot for helping companies that have a lot of boomer management and Gen X management to understand the millennial mindset itself. Uh, and then our company, more broadly, we focus on reducing unnecessary employee turnover. So we do that by both bridging the generational gap and also just in different ways of making managers more effective in their roles. So it sounds like we'll be talking a little bit about millennials here today. And I think the first thing I want to maybe talk to you about was, you know, the growing number of of boomers that are retiring and then, you know, the amount of millennials that are entering the workforce is a lot of companies concerned because those numbers are pretty disproportionate Um, and how that might create, you know, some imbalance uh, to be able to continue to move forward. So, you indicate that you help managers become more effective by bridging those generational gaps. Can you talk more about this and, and, and you know, maybe what what is it you, you present as some of those keys to effectively do that? Sure. So many people have realized that the millennials are slowly taking over by Five years from now, by 2020, we will actually be the majority of the workforce. Uh, A lot of people know that the boomers were huge, and the millennials are a huge cohort, and they don't really realize that the Gen Xers in between are about half our size. So you're absolutely right that that there is becoming this this imbalance of young professionals, uh, and we will be the majority in five years. So it's changing the game of management and promotions and succession planning and all types of things. So I feel like the first step uh, to heading in the right direction, the first key is awareness, making sure that everybody understands there's not necessarily a right and a wrong way of doing things or a right and a wrong way of thinking, but that there's a spectrum. And we all know it's very frustrating when you're working with someone who's on the opposite end of the spectrum from you 
And unfortunately, the primarily due to technology, I would say, each of those spectrum are just getting wider and wider. So the frustration is growing every day. So if you understand what those different spectrums are and how it feels to be on one end or another, that can really start the process of bridging those generational gaps. Can I share a, a quick backstory on, on, for example, why millennials are have a sense of entitlement? Sure. Time for them? Sure, go ahead. So one of the stories that I, I like to share with managers is where this sense of entitlement came from because it's very frustrating uh, that the 20-somethings feel that they deserve more than what the previous generations felt they deserved at, at such an early age. So what a lot of people don't realize is that one of the reasons is because personal credit cards became mainstream during the 1980s for middle-class families. So if you think about the holidays, um, you know, Christmas, Easter, Valentine's Day, you name it, all of those holidays in the past, uh, many of them maybe didn't even exist, but most of them were focused on family and the, the reason for the season. And then if you look at those holidays after the 1980s, there was a huge explosion in the commercialization of that, and it's because our families had access to credit cards. So that meant that as small children, when we asked for a new bike and a Super Nintendo and new jeans and perfume and makeup and anything we wanted, we got all of it and more. We got hundreds of dollars worth of gifts at Christmas, which anyone older than us didn't experience that. So we ended up being the beneficiaries of this great explosion uh, in holidays and in gift giving. And so that's one of the reasons that we have that sense of entitlement that we have today. It's not really our fault. It's not that we're, that we're greedy just to be greedy. It's we always got what we wanted because our families were the first ones, our parents were the first ones who had access to that credit, and they could give us all of those things. So just sharing messages like that, it really provides managers with an aha moment of, wow, okay, I never thought of it that way. I didn't realize that they're not just, you know, those little whippersnappers that think they deserve more than they should. <laughs> yeah, and that's a really good way to kind of put it, that, you know, you think about how much, um, you know, that they may have gotten from that perspective. And I also wonder, too, if the ability, part of what millennials' uh, entitlement, too, is that they have the ability to find things out to know things, to learn things, to that you know, previous generations did not. I mean, if you wanted to learn a trade, you had to go to school. It would take a year. You had to have a level of patience, right? Now you can maybe go watch a bunch of videos. You can go get certified online. If you have the money to do it or the, the desire, the time, you can get what you need very quickly and therefore think that you deserve now a job in this industry or what have you without maybe putting in any actual uh, work from a practical standpoint, not from an education standpoint, but there's... You are absolutely right. Yeah. The, um, the old version of paying your dues 
it's completely different now because, just like you said, it doesn't take five or ten years to shadow someone else in order to learn something. I can just Google it. I can go to a MOOC and take a class for free. Uh, so it doesn't even cost money necessarily anymore. It's just about knowing where to get that information. And because um, most businesses, I mean, especially publicly held companies, for example, everything's transparent. They have to put all their financials out there, and, and with salary.com and those types of things, you can go find out what people make in that in that arena, um, which you couldn't do before. So you're absolutely right. It has changed the game of, of that technology and transparency and access, for sure. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I'm wondering, are you seeing if companies are able to bridge that gap is that leading directly to profits or is that leading more directly to other softer things that then might lead, you know, to better profits? Sure. So um, the piece of generational issues that is hitting the bottom line tends to be turnover. Seventy percent of millennials do not hit the two-year mark in their role. So so most of them are, are job hopping, um, they're expecting promotions quickly, and if they don't get it, they're going to go elsewhere to find that other opportunity for advancement. So it's definitely hitting companies on their, their turnover line item, and not just on recruiting and training costs, but just the loss of productivity, the time that it takes for managers to get the next person up to speed, to coach them, mentor them, handhold them, uh, to get them up that learning curve, thats it really is a huge cost, not to mention just the general loss of productivity um, when there are generational issues and frustration that causes people to not be as productive. And also you can, of course, have miscommunication that causes redo of work if if my manager doesn't explicitly tell me what they want done or how they want it done and I make assumptions because, you know, because I'm a millennial and I make certain assumptions that they didn't make, then I may do it a different way and they have to come back behind me and <laughs> redo it all. So it's not just, um, you know, it's not just frustration that really is hitting the bottom line for companies. And we spend a lot of our time quantifying that. That's one of the first steps that we take with a new client is to figure out exactly what it's doing to their bottom line. And we, I've seen examples of companies that have had to change their training for millennials. And so, for example, instead of spending more time on the training them on the actual job they need to do, they, they, they tend to see a fairly quick adoption rate in that area because of the their sort of familiarity with learning something very quickly and, and observing it, getting the information they need, asking questions. They may be able to do all that stuff very well, but they're having to then help them with conflict resolution, how to talk to someone on the phone, you know, financial planning. There's like things that they are so um, completely unprepared for that we expect people to be able to do in the workplace um, that they're having to train them on some of these other areas Whereas, you know, for the regular job, they're not, the training actually can be slightly less. Are you seeing things like that as well with your clients? Absolutely. It's much more focused on the soft skills, as you mentioned, conflict resolution, and just general professionalism. Uh, You know, when I was in my early 20s, nobody told me that I had to keep my shoes on all day. (laughs) 
nobody told me that that was unprofessional for me to kick off my high heels and walk to the copier barefoot. And so we're seeing a lot of that kind of behavior because nobody told me better. Um, and so I think a lot of companies are implementing that kind of basic one-on-one professionalism training and, and also how to communicate with others. You know, we are, of course, attached to our cell phones. Uh, we prefer text and email often over time over um, face-to-face communication, for example. And so just going back to the basics, you know, a lot of assumptions are made that a new hire is going to know certain things. And what managers need to remember is we weren't told a lot of those old-school mantras such as, you know, sit up straight, finish your plate, respect your elders. They hated hearing those things when they were kids, so they swung the pendulum the other direction and said, I am never going to tell my kids that. Um, so then there were a lot of those things that we didn't didn't hear, uh, and in fact, some of them we heard the opposite, of uh, question authority, right? So uh, you are special, you are valuable. And then when we got to the workforce, we, we have become the most egalitarian cohort ever. We believe everyone is equal. And so we come in the door, we don't care what your title is or how much seniority you have over us. We want to know what value we can bring to the table immediately and what value do you bring to the table? Mm -hmm. Even though you've been here a long time, I want to know what your expertise is or what do you have that I don't have (laughs) that that makes us complement one another. Um, So that is also causing a lot of of frustration, uh, but it's also a plus in some ways for sure. Well, you must learn a few of those those rules and remember them. I, I I I never heard the keep your shoes on one. Although I would have never taken off my shoes with fear that people might have run out the door um, uh-huh. with the, the smell. But um, yeah, I, I don't think I would be be so worried if people did that at my office. But uh, anyways, I, you must have learned them at uh, all the all the little intricacies at some point when you were. Like you said, in your twenties, and you've now you've received a lot of awards, including being recognized as a female, young female entrepreneur, a game changer by Workforce Magazine, top three finalist for the James W. Robinson Young Professional of the Year. So, what do these awards mean to you, and how, how do they, you know, kind of help you drive your your desire to help businesses, you know, to really look to be successful for the future? Well, you know, I'm always honored to be recognized. I, I just think that's amazing um, that people appreciate what I'm what I'm doing um, and think that I'm good at it for sure. But we really just use that recognition to then get the word out more about what we're doing. Um, so many people don't know where to turn for help with bridging the gap. They know that it exists, it's a huge problem, um, but they don't know people with real relevant help, you know, relevant content that can help them. So we just use that to to get the word out and use that exposure to find more clients who need us, which then they tell us what their problems are, what they're experiencing. Then we build new programs, customize things for them, and we reach out to more clients with those new programs and, and offerings. So it's really a beautiful cycle of the recognition and then being able to find more clients and, and build uh, build our millennial empire here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and, you, and what... what- component of that or maybe there are some other things that you feel are really driving then turnover in businesses you know because if they're implementing the things that you're talking about you would think that's going to help them avoid that but are there 
particular things that you're seeing that really drive turnover in businesses that, you know, obviously are going to lead to higher expenses, lower profitability, uh, degrading culture. I mean, there's all these kind of things that go into that component, but maybe there's certain things that you're seeing. Absolutely. Um, you know, bad management or ineffective management is really the number one cause of turnover <clears throat> that they don't um, appreciate or, or utilize or engage their employees and things. But beyond that is poor hiring practices. I mean, a lot of companies don't utilize screening tools that are out there that are so amazing and incredibly valid. You know, some are and some aren't. Um, but there are lots of hiring practices that, that can increase turnover, or I'm sorry, increase retention. <laughs> and then also, many companies lack opportunities for advancement within their company of all different sizes. It doesn't matter how small you are or how big you are. You can make opportunities for advancement, particularly for the young professionals that are looking to expand their skills, relationships, their knowledge. And so there was a, you know, in the past it was a concept of the career ladder. It was very linear. I can't get promoted until my boss goes somewhere else leaves or goes up the ladder. And so that is no longer the case. Uh, many people use the term career jungle gym now. And so I try to give that visual to companies that are really looking at solving their turnover problems, particularly with the young professionals, because they're going to bounce. They want to expand. They want to learn new things. And so if you can't allow for them to bounce internally, even if it's lateral moves or uh, it doesn't have to be a pay or title increase, it can just be added to a new committee, put on a special project um, out in the community. Can they serve on boards on the company's behalf or expand their relationships in other ways inside or outside of the company? Mm -hmm. So. Just really working on those types of areas um, is very, very important for for lowering your turnover numbers. And, and then how do you see that that kind of ties into companies being able to adequately train their managers? You can have great senior managers. You can sometimes you can see a history. But when you, when you move someone like you talked about in a position, it could be because someone left, it could be because they earned it, because there's a, a new position within the company. But as they move up, as they be, need to become trained to be better leaders, what are some of the best companies doing to, to solve that problem? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, if I could back up just a second, what some people realize and some haven't, haven't thought about is during the recession a few years ago, most companies cut all of that training and development. They right. had to focus on sales and operations, which I understand. Um, but now it's coming back to bite them because they promoted so many people during that time and didn't give them the tools to be successful. And so it is so important to make sure that your managers know how to give critical feedback, conduct proper performance evaluations, and not just once a year, but to give that feedback on a regular basis and resolve conflict. Uh, lots of those types of skills that were overlooked, which again feed back into the turnover problems, and so the, the 
successful, healthy companies are quickly implementing more training and development programs and tools, uh, giving a lot of their managers coaching, uh, either in a, in a group setting, you know, through training or group coaching or just one-on-one. They're really investing in those managers because they know they're the front line for retention. They, are, they have the most impact on that. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm just trying to, if you look at this from a millennial standpoint, do you think they're going to have a bigger challenge in, 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 in that? Or do you think they have an advantage in being able to be successful in that area? You know, if, if, if the company is able to kind of focus in that, the right kind of training, where do you see that they kind of sit on that cycle? You know, I can see both. I can see that it's going to take them some time to learn because, Soft skills do take time. You can't just watch a class and know how to handle a difficult situation. Uh, You do need practice with that. But I think because we are so open and honest and transparent uh, in most cases that we're going to be very genuine in our relationships. And so I think we'll, you know, in some cases we'll get there faster because we we build genuine friendships and relationships with the people above us, below us, and we work together. We are extremely collaborative. In fact, most millennials would rather collaborate than compete in general. And so we are so collaborative, I think that's going to help us as managers to work through things together, but... We are still green for the most part, and we need time uh, to do that. But like you said earlier, we have access to more of that kind of training and tutorials and YouTube videos, and uh, we talk about it with people because we live our life 24-7. It's work-life integration now. There's no such thing as the work-life balance where I can flip the clock at 6 o'clock in the evening and become a non-worker, and now I'm a daughter, mother, friend, you know, it's 24-7. So we, we talk about it with our friends. We talk about work there. We talk about personal things with our colleagues. So I think that will both help us and hurt us, and we'll just have to figure it out over the next five to ten years. Yeah, and I know giving up, I've had to give up that work-life balance, but you, know, you, you do those things. There are things you do during work that aren't work, and there are things that when you're not at work that you do that are work. And But it's getting rid of that guilt, I think, you know, and just finding some sort of, to making sure you're not being out of balance with Absolutely. things. But getting rid of the guilt that it's okay if you had to take five minutes to do something that wasn't for work during work time. And if you need to do something for work when you're away, you need to answer an email, take a phone call. It, You know, that I think that's the, that, where there's a perception that you're supposed to have this balance, but I don't think that balance really for, for the average worker nowadays really exists. It's a matter of just kind of changing your whole perspective and how you interact with, with everything. So uh, I know some of those things that we've talked about today and that we've brought up maybe come from some of your own kind of past uh, things that you do um, in, in learning and reading. And so I'm wondering if you're reading a particular book right now that you might share with us. You know, I would love to say that I am, but we have actually just started a new division of our business, and for the last four months, I have been so focused on on getting that off the ground. Uh, I have to admit that I have a bookmark in what got you here won't get you there. So I, I had to set that aside a few months ago, but that was the book that I was working on. The last time I had, I, I did find that balance time 
to squeeze in some reading. So I would recommend it. Thus far, it's great. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one that has uh, people have brought up on the show before. So we'll definitely need to, to check that out. You know, if, if people are interested in learning more about you, uh, your your company, Crescendo Strategies, having you speak or anything like that, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Uh, our website is crescendostrategies.com, and you can request a free pocket resource guide there on the Millennial Mindset, and you can also watch videos if you'd like to see my speaking style and, and my stories. And I'm also on Twitter at Crescendo Cara. And Crescendo, in case anyone isn't totally sure, is um, correct if I'm wrong, but C-R-E-S-C-E-N-D-O. Is that correct? Correct. All right. Yes. Because right, I know if I was listening, I would be like, how do you spell that? Um, yes. <laughs> so I uh, really appreciate you being on the show. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point, maybe give us some updates on how millennials are doing and, 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 for, and how maybe workplaces are doing and kind of uh, shortening that divide that we may be having. We'd love to get your thoughts uh, as this uh, story kind of evolves. Would love to. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Tune in uh, live next week, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. My guest will be Ruth Ross, the engagement evangelist and speaker and author at R Squared Resources, and also Kanur Buhal, founder of uh, Mindhatch. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show right here on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. Brought to you by People G2.